Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Today on the podcast, we have my good friend, Dr. Kinjal Desai. As you'll hear about in the episode, Kinjal and I met at the beginning of medical school and have done our training at the same hospitals ever since. Kinjal is a pediatric cardiologist and is now finishing up her training in pediatric intensive care. That's right, you heard me correctly. She's already completed one fellowship and she's now on to the second one. In addition to being a brilliant and compassionate doctor, she's a great teacher. Quick story before we get to our chat. During my third year pediatric residency, I was on an overnight shift and we were getting a transfer of a patient from the intensive care unit to our cardiology service. We had gotten sign out from the ICU docs on a patient who had congenital heart disease and had recently had heart surgery. I had a basic understanding of what this patient's heart looked like after surgery, but as I looked through the patient's chart to try to get a little bit of a better handle, I decided to shoot Kinjal a text. She knew cardiology much better than I did, and I knew that she'd be able to have some insight. It was probably 10 p.m. I asked Kinjal if she could get on the phone for a few minutes and just explain to us what this heart looked like. Not only did Kinjal reply right away that she'd be happy to jump on the phone, but she goes, give me 10 minutes. I want to draw out the anatomy for you, and so that way you could look at it while we chat. A few minutes later, I received a color-coding drawing from Kindrel, and she spent a half hour talking through this patient's anatomy with me and my intern. That's the type of physician, and frankly, the type of person, that Dr. Kindrel Desai is. While I'm still a bit bewildered as to why she would willingly choose to do two of the most stressful and intense pediatric fellowships, I know that there are so many children that will benefit from her excellent care, and already have. I hope you'll find our conversation informative and insightful as we talk about our journeys through medicine and the mentorship and guidance that we received along the way. Thanks for listening. Exploring the intersection of medicine, sports, and pop culture, this is the Doctors Are People Too podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Josh Belfer. Welcome back to the Doctors Are People 2 podcast. I'm your host, Josh Belfer. I'm very excited for today's guest. Truthfully, I wasn't sure we'd ever be able to get her on the program. Not because I didn't know how to reach her, but because she is very busy, has a very, very busy schedule, as you'll hear over the next few minutes. But Dr. Kinjal Desai, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm glad we could finally make it work. I'm sorry. No need to apologize. As the listeners will hear, you're involved in a lot of different things. When I sat down to figure out how I was going to introduce you, of course, I Googled you. Then I decided it wasn't worth embarrassing you about you know, your national merit scholarships and your acknowledgments and your awards and this and that. And oh, I probably Lord. could spend a whole hour on that. But I will say when I thought about where our friendship began, funny enough, maybe not funny enough, but scary enough, 11 years ago, almost, Mm -hmm. we were first year medical students at Rutgers. We met, I think, one of the first days of medical school, and it has been 11 years since then. Do you believe that? No, actually. I was thinking about it the other day, too, and I don't think I've known a lot of people consistently for 11 years outside of family. Um, It's a long, long time. It doesn't feel that long, but it's a long time. It definitely doesn't feel that long. And, you know, as we'll talk about, we've kind of gone through the journey together. And one of the beauties of medical school is that all of your peers 
go out into the world and all go on to different paths and you're able to catch up in different specialties and different places and different parts of the country. And me and you coincidentally kind of stuck together unintentionally. <laughs> uh, and we'll get a little bit more into that in a little bit. But I want to start with why you went into medicine and what your inspirations were. You uh, were in college in New Jersey also and then stuck around for medical school. When did you mm-hmm. know you wanted to go into medicine as a career? Yeah, it's a, I mean, I think it's a bit of a difficult question because for me, I think growing up, both my parents are physicians. And so I used to hear a lot about their experience and their jobs and um, it was inspiring. And I think it obviously as a young kid, it like molds a lot about the way you think about the world and where you see yourself. And my mom is like one of my like greatest heroes. And so, you know, it's very obvious when you try to like emulate somebody like that, you kind of get into that mindset. Um, but I think probably like middle school, high school, I, um, really, I knew I really always loved working with kids. Um, I have a lot of kids in my family. I have a really big family. Um, so that part of it made a lot of sense to me. Um, and I did a lot of, I mean, like, like all of us do volunteer work and just like being around the hospital. Um, and it just seemed like a good way to, to spend time and like a fulfilling way to spend a career. Um, and then, you know, I'm with somebody who, as you know, is very one track mind. So once I kind of like something or decide on something, there's not a lot of room uh, to change that. And I think once I decided, I was kind of so gung ho into it that it, I never really thought of myself as doing anything else. Um, and I think like what specialty I chose over time changed a bit, but the choice to do medicine um, never really did. And much to the uh, surprise of my parents who actively tried to encourage me to do other things. Yeah, that's what I'm interested in because my dad's a physician, as you know. And I Mm -hmm. would say his inspiration on me was a little bit more natural in terms of me seeing what he did and was not as explicit for a while. There was actually a time where he not actively discouraged me to go into medicine, but really wasn't it wasn't a point of conversation until really I started college and I think a week before I started, I switched uh, that first semester econ to chemistry, and then the rest <laughs> was history. But you talk about some of the experiences of seeing your parents practice. What was that communication like? Were they pushing you? Were they talking to you about medicine? Or was it really just seeing what they did and realizing that's what you wanted to do also? Um, I mean, I, I, I heard my dad come home and like talk about work with my mom, obviously, a lot. Um, and I think that I probably talked to my mom, I would say, more than my dad about um, her experience. She did internal medicine in India and her, like, med school, my parents met in med school. And so I heard probably more so from her than my dad. My dad was doing, like, ER at the time. Um, And I think she, you know, it was the same for her. And I think because the way she was talking about it just made sense to me it like clicked, but she also knew from a very young age that that's what she wanted to do. Her parents are not physicians, but it was just something that she knew she wanted to do. And when she was sure there, you know, and her, her kind of career path in life um, took some turns too, but she never really changed that goal. Uh, because when she started, she said there was nothing else that made her happy. There was nothing else that she could see herself doing. And I think that once I talked to her more about that. It made sense. And she's telling me about her experiences in the hospital. And obviously, it's a very different system than here in the States. And they start, you know, she started medicine a lot younger than I, than we do here. Um, So 
it it was her experience was different, but it it was exciting and it I just felt like she felt fulfilled in in what she did. Um and I think it influenced a lot, but she was also one of those people who said, you know, don't put yourself in a box and think about other things and um shocking fact, my parents really wanted me to go into orthodontics. That was like the had braces as a kid and that was that was what they wanted me to do. It could have been your journey. That could have been my journey. I could have put on colored braces on kids. Um, but, you know, I think over time they realized as I matured that that bug wasn't going away. Um, and so they kind of like fully backed that and leaned into it. And, and I, I agree with you. The conversations got way more mature when I was older. Um, so, so they wanted you to be an orthodontist. Was there ever any point before you started medical school or even during medical school mm-hmm that you thought, let me just do something different, you know, maybe even outside of the medical dental field completely? Honestly, no. Um, and that's what's weird. Like, I think that if I hadn't been so one-track minded, maybe I'd explored other things or like kept my mind open, I could have developed other interests that maybe maybe I would have liked just as much. But I don't really think I gave myself like room to do that. And like all's well that ends well, like I'm really happy with my career and like where I am now. But I, I often wonder, I'm like, you know, if I had like explored other things in college, even like what I would I have thought differently. And um, I was really into art when I was younger and I still am. And I was an art history minor in college. But that kind of side of me was always like a hobby and not a career. But that probably would have been the next thing I would be interested in, you know, spending time doing. Um, but it just never struck me as something I'd want to do like for my whole life. And I feel like that's the unique part about medicine as opposed to maybe some other careers where they always kind of romanticize medicine as a calling but in a lot of ways it is that you think about it you think about the opportunities you have within medicine the ability to change people's lives to interact with a lot of different people something that's intellectually stimulating and challenging uh and i feel like i was on this in the same boat that i before mm-hmm. really college i had never really thought much about what i wanted to do there were certainly points that I thought I didn't want to do medicine, especially in mm-hmm. medical school when we were well, yeah, <laughs> doing <too. laughs> a lot of studying and not seeing the sunlight for long periods of time. But I also never really knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something creative and maybe I finally settled on it in doing this podcast, but <laughs> I never really strayed. So let's transition to medical school where we met. When you think about your experience in medical school, what are the things that stand out? Honestly, I would say um, med school was one of like probably arguably the hardest times of my life, I would say, even even more so than residency, fellowship, everything before and after. Um, I The only reason I think I kind of like stayed in it and had like a leveled enough experience to not hate what I was doing probably was because of the people that I met. Um, and obviously I met you like really early on. I had like a very like small, close group of friends. Um, and Lindsay and Kelly or, you know, were the closest people that I was to at the time or two of my good friends. Um, and I think that because of that, it grounded me, but med school was not easy. Like it did not come intuitively to me. The first two years were very difficult. I was always a good studier like always liked school, like always was like that focused test taker. Med school kind of broke that out of me because the way you study had to be different. The exams were really tough. And those first two years, um, 
I, I also, like you, was a little bit like, what am I doing with my life? And does this make sense for me? And can I do, like, can I do this? Like, will I be successful doing this? Um, and then the, ne- the next two years were extremely different. You know, like your two clinical years are very, very different. Um, and I think I, it felt more natural to me. So I hated what I was doing less and I started to enjoy it more and kind of get back to what I thought it would be like. Um, but those first two years, I would say, were probably the lowest of of my experience in medicine total, like across I, the board. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would agree. I would agree. Mm-hmm. And it's tough starting out. You come from college where probably a bit of senioritis towards the end. You get into medical school. You've accomplished your goals up until that point, And you start not only at a, a new place and meeting new people and some of the difficulties of you know going through and meeting all new people, but then from day one, you get thrown information. It wasn't like college. You have a couple hours of class. You could go yeah. home. You got tests in a couple months. In med school, it sort of felt like if you didn't keep up, you were done for. Or at least that's how I felt. Did you feel the same way? Absolutely. And I think it was also hard because you're taking like all people that that want the same thing and, and work the same and are a little bit type A for the most part and putting them in like a – and our med school wasn't massive, right? We were like what, like one – 20 30 yeah yeah something around not, there. not insane like it didn't feel huge um but i think everybody i think putting people putting me in a high stress environment or you and then having also like a hundred other people who are doing the same thing also put a lot of pressure because you look around you and you see other people who might be doing better than you and are studying harder or or studying less and doing better and and it's it's hard to see that and I think in college, like I went to Rutgers and it's massive. Like you don't know what anyone else is doing half the time. So that comparison is not there. I think med school kind of puts that in a box. Um, and I, I think like when you left college, right, were you like excited to, to like med school was like the goal, right? So you go yeah, and absolutely. you're excited to start. And then to go and be in this like two years of just didactics and with things that you don't feel are like palpable or relevant to medicine is hard. It's very disillusioning. Oh, it felt disillusioning to me. No, I'm with you. I felt the same way. I think interesting looking back on it, I felt the same way that you have all of these people who also had this goal of making it into medical school. Now they also have a similar goal of doing the best they can so they could get to a great residency. At the same time, though, when I think back to the friendships I had in medical school, it was similar to what you described. People kind of broke up a little bit into pods. Mm-hmm. Not that people didn't interact with everyone. I think our class was small enough that people really knew most of the class. But to a sense, I think in order to you know, survive medical school, then you needed to go along the ride with other people, which yeah. you needed to find those people that were going to be in the same boat as you help you study, you're going to help them study and kind of carve out your niche in terms of your friends group. And also just talk about like, I, like I didn't always do all my first two years, right? So like just having like, like my two girls like talk to you about how I was struggling or like not doing well. And if they were also struggling, it gives you like camaraderie, like gives you like some type of peace to know you're not the only one who's like having such a hard time and that maybe it's just hard because it's meant to be hard. You know, um, and I think like there are a few there are 
very few people that I've really kept in touch with over the years since med school. My group was small. I think you you had like you knew a lot more people than I did in Max, med school. I but, I lived for four years with our <laughs> class president, so therefore oh, yeah, I true. knew everyone else through him. <laughs> but it's it's I I think my my group was always smaller, and I think over time, you know, we've we grow and we change and and we gain and we lose and. Um, I think you're, I think one of my, like, you're my, probably the oldest med school friend that I still like keep very much in touch with. Um, and I, it, it's, it's such an experience in isolation, you know, and that's not an experience I'll ever go through with other people. And so those people in my mind are so unique in that way. Cause it was such a difficult time in life. And to have those people, like nobody else is ever going to experience that with me. No one else is going to understand that with me. Yeah. And you're so siloed off as you go through it. And I, when I think back, I could still place, you know, this group of people used to study in this room of the medical school. Yes. You could always find them in the second floor study hall. These people yes. were going to take up the lecture hall once lectures are over. It is funny how that happens where although you're kind of going at it a little bit siloed off from everyone, when you want to get that mind, that sort of input from other people, you want to run something by you know, I would run stuff by you and when mm-hmm. it came to cardiology, because <laughs> I knew that you were probably going to understand it much better than me. And you knew where to find everyone. But those those third and fourth years, once we took step one, once we got into the hospital during our clinical rotations, it was truly like a breath of fresh air going into oh, yeah. the hospital. You know, me and you, along with a bunch of other people, were kind of on the same uh, schedule in terms yep. of our rotations, which usually were bunched together in, you know, a couple months at a time. Uh, what are some of the memories you have of getting into the hospital and maybe having a little bit more of a sense of this is what I'm actually going to be doing as a doctor? So I remember, I think our first, my and your first rotation was OB. Mm-hmm. And um, like the furthest thing from what I wanted to do in life. Um, and I remember getting that like orientation lecture, we get to like practice I like I I remember you were like in my group. I think you were like two people away from me to like practice, um, like how to give news to like an expectant mom, or it was like some some like scenario, and and then I walked into the rotation. It was like so not anywhere near what anybody <laughs> told me. Um, it was I mean, I think it was really shocking um, to find our place in like this that first couple of months of like how we fit into the medical system cuz it's such a weird right being a med student is so weird you're you're still in school and you're still learning but you're expected to to, to kind of be in a clinical role that you've never done before and you probably know very little about um and not get in people's way but also be really proactive and it's it's a very weird social balance, I think, to strike as a med student, aside from just plain learning, which obviously everybody has to do. Um, and I remember my first rotation was at Jersey Shore for OB and walking in with my uh, with some of our classmates and I sitting in like a sea full of OB, GYN residents and just like huddled in the corner, like waiting to be told what to do, which was like a lot of that rotation. Um, one of our good friends, uh, Jacobo, was with us, and that during that rotation, and it was it was nice to have the same four people with me 
24-7 for those couple of months, right? Because you see them every day at work. But it felt real. I feel like being in a hospital felt real. But our role within the hospital was very, very question mark. <laughs> yeah, it it was a strange experience that certainly you're going through it and getting to see what the quote unquote real doctors do. You're not right. in a classroom. You're not learning anatomy in a cadaver lab. You're really interacting with patients. You're going through presentations. You're hearing how the residents and the attendings interact with the patients. But that fine line between, I want to be a go-getter. I want to show that I'm interested in this. Yep. I want to get good feedback and good reports that can maybe help me get into residency. But then I don't want to be too over eager. And a lot of the times I think it fell to the individual's personality. That yep. You could pick out, and we probably could have picked out, you know, first week of medical school. These are the, <laughs> probably the people that were, you know, raising their hands a lot, asking a lot of questions and you know, yep. trying to learn everything that first week. That those people, you know, they get into the hospital and they're a little bit too over eager to, uh, you know, find favor for the residents and the attendings. Yeah. And I think... And I, you know, it's so interesting because it's, you're absolutely right. And I think also like the people, like if you, I think your experience is also very much clouded by the people that you're with, right? For good or for worse. Like I'm talking mm-hmm. about the good, like I had great people on my OBGYN rotation. Like it, you know, there, it, it was a total of four of us, I want to say. Um, and the other three were like really chill, you know, guys who weren't really thinking about going into OB and I wasn't thinking about going into OB. So we were all kind of going through the motions together um, about kind of just like learning and nobody was like jumping the gun and everyone was very supportive. But for the worst, you can have some people like that who are very like gung-ho and like very trying to like kind of jump in first and it it shades your, your experience a bit, you know? And so I think a lot of med schools also like how your experience is clouded by the people that you're with because it, it is a one-to-one comparison when you're there and it's hard. It's hard if you have like some interest and you're not that most vocal person or you're not that person who's going to jump out of your seat and do you look a certain way to the residents and, and you know, are you too quiet? Or are you too loud? It's, it's, it's a weird balance to strike. Yeah. I think the peer support's important that sometimes if you're good enough friends with the person, you could read the room a little bit better than them and, maybe nudge them and say, all right, maybe this isn't, the residents clearly having a bad day. Maybe this isn't a time to, you know, ask them for feedback four times before 2 p.m. But then also (laughs) the importance of of mentorship and being able to find those residents as a medical student going through the rotations to learn from, to get to Mm -hmm. know how they do things, what their mindset is, how they interact with patients. I wonder as you, uh, we'll jump ahead a little bit, then we'll probably go backwards again. But mm-hmm. now that you and both of us have spent a lot of time training in big academic institutions where we're constantly working with now residents, but medical students and physician assistants and physician assistant students, had, did, do you look back at your medical school experience and say, oh, these are the residents that I really learned from, so I'm going to try to emulate that when I work with trainees now? A hundred percent. And actually, I'm kind of glad you brought this up because I think um, people think I, I think a lot of medical students think that, like you know like like I really wanted to do pediatrics, right? And I I knew that from the get go. And some people are way more open and don't know what they want to do, but some people really know, and so they approach every other rotation as like I'm not really going into this. I just need to get through it. And I think the biggest thing I noticed looking back that helped 
I feel like you can find a mentor in any discipline to help you with a skill that you will need in the future. And it doesn't matter what they're working at or or where they come from. And if somebody's willing to teach you, like take that and run with it. Um, Like I had, I mean, I had an attending an OBGYN who knew I didn't want to do OB and knew I wanted to work with kids and like really helped me fine tune like my suture work because she was really good at it and I knew I needed it in the future. Or I had an internal med resident who um, took the time to like sit down and just do like basic talks with us about like medical management of very bread and butter things. Um, and, and talk about like guidelines, which I'm, I'm not good at keeping up with. And just like, because he took the time to do that, right. Even if I'm not necessarily seeing these kinds of patients in the future, the baseline medicine, like how the nephron works and how the lungs work and like what vents look like, like that kind of stuff sticks, right? Like it's translatable. And so I think like, it's something I think you can find in any experience if the person that you're around is willing to teach, like have them teach you something that you think will be useful for you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be specialty specific. But I think a lot of med students kind of fall into that where they're like, well, you know, I'm not going into peds and, you know, I'm doing like adult, like ortho, like why do I have to learn from this? And there, there are still things you can learn. Yeah, even just someone to role model professionalism work ethic, communication. I find myself in the same boat where, you know, sometimes you get people in our pediatric ER who are coming over from the adult side who are maybe going to see a few pediatric patients here and there, but are really just there to to do their time and do their couple days with us. But, you know, when I went through, like you said, OB, you went through internal medicine, you went through surgery and specialties I knew pretty early on. Also, I didn't want to go into but you mm-hmm. find those people that are well respected and a lot of the times even interns junior residents they're not as well respected from the the patients or the attendings because they're smarter than everyone or they know yep. more about everyone but it's because they put in the work they're nice to people they learn to communicate really work great with their patients and I mean those are the skills you know the medical skills you're going to learn and you know, as going through residency and now fellowship and you're onto your second fellowship, those really granular <laughs> skills of whatever specialty you're going to go into, some of it may be the basis of you learned in medical school. But I'd imagine, and, and I would say for myself, a lot of those lessons that I take with me from medical school now are more so about how I saw people act in the hospital as opposed to, yeah. you know, the actual medical practice. And acting with the rest of the team or with their colleagues, right? Like you, like we all remember those those residents that you would see like going to a different unit to like admit a kid or you know like to help their colleagues or who if they saw like a nurse having like a really difficult time would like help them turn a patient. Like none of that is something you can like really plan for, like intentionally do. Like if that's just a person part of a person's like you said work ethic or the way they interact with their team, like it makes a hell of a difference. Um, and I think picking, like picking up on those things are much more subtle and less talked about, but they do make for a huge change in, in how we all work today. Right. Like I'm sure some of those things you've looked at and kind of subconsciously adopted without really thinking twice about it. Um, and it makes a huge difference. That's why I'm always interested when we have either medical students or residents who have had whether it's long careers or even just a couple of years outside of medicine doing something else. And yeah. in terms of their maturity and particularly the emotional maturity, 
if you will, and the professionalism, they tend to have a step above some of the people that went through, kind of like me and you went right through to medical school, then residency, because I think some of those skills you're going through and there's a true hierarchical system in, in medicine. And sometimes I think we get lost in it, in that, okay, I'm an intern, I'm not expected to know much. I'm the the little baby duckling finding my way around the hospital. Whereas people, you know, I look at my younger brother who's in finance and right out of college, he was at a, a, a company that he needed to really hold his own in terms of his professionalism and interact yeah. with people a lot more senior than him. And so it's always interesting to see that people, you know, who spent some time outside of medicine seem to you know, kind of have a little bit of a better sense of how to go about their day and interact with people. Yeah. I think it I think the maturity level is higher and the the leadership skills are different and I think they also I think you're right like I still felt like a like a child going through med school like you're kind of at that age where all of your friends are getting real jobs and are out in the real world doing real things and you're kind of just like never left school and I like I still feel like I never left school and so I, it's it's a different feeling about your your space in the world and I think some of the people who who spend time outside of medicine come back with like a little bit more like kind of like confidence, but like a little more understanding of their place in the world. And, and they don't think in a box the way I, I know I did and probably still do. Cause we just never left medicine. Um, it's interesting though. I feel I, I have a, I had a co-fellow in cardiology who had a whole other career before this, before medicine. Um, and he's fantastic. Like he, he just had a way with people and, and I learned a lot from him and definitely had like twice the amount of maturity I have, um, just in, and how he kind of carried himself and, and the way he looked at different situations and how he handled difficult interactions. And it's, it makes it, it makes a difference for sure. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's fast forward. We go through medical school, we made it. We had, I think, 20 other people in our medical school class (laughs) who decided to go into pediatrics. We opened those envelopes on match day and, and, uh, you know, six of us, I think, ended up at the same place for pediatric residency, which was a shocker. But what are those memories that you look back on as you think about your pediatric residency experience? I, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot. Um, but I, I cannot stress how much I feel that our residency not just had a hand, but like really like shaped my career. Like, like when I look back at like my mentors and how I got here, aside from like my, my family and my friends and like those people that are like personally close to me, like professionally our residency did something for me I never thought was possible. Um, and I, they have a very, very large predominant hand in getting me where I am today. So I, I have nothing but like, I would say like gratefulness for, for our residency experience. And, and I don't, I don't know that I was expecting all of that going in. Um, I viewed it as a like a you know like a job and like a you know like a stepping stone to like the next thing and um, what we got out of out of Lij and our experience at Cohen Children's was insane like it was I think it was life changing a lot of it 
Yeah, I definitely did not think I was going to have that experience when I started. I knew it was a good program. I was excited to go with a bunch of people I became close with during medical school. But one of the things I still think back on that is crucial in terms of helping me with my you know maturity, helping me become the physician I am today, is the senior residents that were there and helped mentor mm-hmm. us right when we started. And looking back on it, I think that the senior residents that, and we, I think both of us started pretty early on the inpatient units, which is, you know, as a first year, some of the harder months. Yeah. And we had seniors who expected a lot, but also rewarded us when we put in the work in terms of, you know, sharing their knowledge and in terms of giving us positive feedback, giving us constructive feedback. And I still look at those first probably six months of residency that among those three years plus that that I spent there, that really those first six months probably shaped me more than the rest of the the two and a half years I spent there. That's interesting to me because I felt like my first six months were like a blur. (laughs) I think I was – no, I mean, I totally agree with you with the the senior residents. And I actually think even as a second year, we had a lot of senior residents and also like fellows – who really, really invested themselves in like bettering us. And like, if you showed a modicum of interest in something they were talking about, they would like sit you down and encourage that. And never like, it was, it was never um, high, like hierarchical, like you mentioned before, like it never felt that way. It always felt like everything was like blasted wide open. Like you could talk with a co-intern just as, you know, comfortably as you could talk to a senior resident or a fellow or even attendings. Um, and I think it, it made it shaped the experience as being like such a great learning environment. And you're right about getting like constructive feedback. It was always given in a way that was meant to like better you. Like there was always an investment in your personal, like your growth. Everybody else was invested in my growth. Everyone was invested in your growth, right? So that whole like mentality of like, we want our residents to do well. We want our, you know, I want my intern to do well as a senior. And and as an intern, like, I want to do well so that I do a good job for my senior too, you know, for my patients, of course, but also for my team members so that we can all get better together. We can all succeed together was like a big thing. Um, but my, my six, my first six months, I think I was so stressed out and it, and it wasn't because of the place or the people, like it was a fantastic experience. I think I was just very tightly wound on like all these expectations I had for residency and, and, and how to go about it. And like, it, it was, and I had a really tough rotation to start out with. I was on the, um, the Hemonc elective. And so, and I, and I thought for a while that I was interested in Hemonc. So I was very, very like gung ho about that for a while. But um, I think that I would say my biggest like, like growth, like that trajectory of like learning so much and like feeling like in it, like really, really in it was like, the tail end of first year into like halfway through second year. That was when I felt like I had my legs under me and my mind was a little bit clearer. And I felt like my growth was way more exponential during that time. I think my most growth was the first night of residency, looking back (laughs) on it for two reasons. And I wonder if you remember this. So I started on the floors on night float. So we had, what, six nights in a row, Yeah, which meant my first shift of residency was an overnight. 
with a senior resident, me and the senior resident managing the entire floor. So those 12 hours overnight, I think we had nine admissions. Oh my God, that's right. Which was uh, unheard of. And even (laughs) after I went through my three years there, I'm not sure I ever got that many admissions the rest of my residency. So that was one reason. I think like 10 minutes after sign out, one one of the children on the floor started having a seizure. And then we were called to this other room and getting admission after admission. So that... I felt like I saw the worst of it that first night. But then the other part of it, which was a little bit more embarrassing, but I think led to some levity as we went through the first couple of weeks, is that if you remember, we never got our scrubs from the hospital those first couple of days. It was like three or four days into residency, residency that they finally yeah. gave us it. And me yeah. as a you know, do good or I don't want to break the rules. I had scrubs at home, but I didn't know if it was appropriate to wear non-hospital scrubs to the hospital. And so I show up the first night in a full like tie and button down shirt and slacks (laughs) here to do my overnight shift. Everyone else is in scrubs and they just, yeah, they just like look at me being like, what are you doing here? (laughs) So I, I think amidst that's kind of been a characterization i think of the rest of my medical career thus far that you know i I do pretty good when things are very busy and and high acuity and high volume but i think having a little bit of levity helps me get through it too one thousand percent i remember i wasn't i don't remember seeing you that day but i remember you telling me about it and i hundred percent remember we i think we talked for months about that first night of horror you had um, and I, I don't think I had anything near that, at least early on, that was like traumatizing. Um, but I remember your experience. And that was the and, time where we didn't even have 24 hour in house hospitalists. So from yeah. like midnight to 7 a.m., there was not a hospitalist, which was fine. It was actually a lot of great learning for us as residents. But at about 5.30 a.m. on my first night, when we sign out at 6 a.m., then my senior tells me that it's my job as the intern to present all of the new admissions to not only the medical (laughs) team, but the charge nurse, the hospitalist attending who is going to come in. And she was like, I'll stick around. Don't worry. I'll be there to help you out. I think I was probably in the physical exam section of the first admission. And my senior walks out the door. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. That's honestly the same thing that happened. So my my first night, my first night of my night float or whatever shift was way after yours, I think. Um, and my senior was a second year, and because we had a second or a third year on with us, right? So I I had a second year that that day. And we got five admissions. It's weird how you remember these details, right? Like exactly yeah. how many people you admitted. And I even remember like like most of mine were all like respiratory kids. And um, my senior said the same thing. He goes like about 10 minutes before the day team walks in at like six in the morning. He's like, oh, yeah, like, by the way, you just have to like tell them about the admissions. And that's all he – and I was like, oh, okay, like, sure. Like, obviously, we're going to sign out. I'm going to tell them about the admissions. And then he left. D- didn't even wait for me to <laughs> – left. And um, then the attending walks in. <laughs> And just sits expectantly with everybody else in the room and looks at me. He's like, are you going to present? And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and meanwhile, all of the kids sound the same, right? Because your brain is like boggled by the end of this. 
So I'm like struggling, like trying to keep track of like who had what and like what were the subtlety of the labs. And it was, but it, you're right. It was like trial, a little bit trial by fire, but I think we kind of both do well in those situations, which is why we ended up where like in the careers we ended up in um, for better or for worse. But it, it was it's stressful like a going through it. It's a rite of passage, right? It's it's one of those things you just got to have to experience. And then once you do it once, you're like, okay, I've done this before. Once the attending asks you for each patient what their physical exam was in the emergency room and you don't have it written down in front of you and you have to pull it up on the <laughs> laptop each day, I promise you that second night you're going to have that ER physical <laughs> exam written down. But I mean, honestly, that, that was a, a big part of our, our growth, I think. And things have changed uh, probably for the better in that there is uh, – I think more of a culture of having in-house attendings 24 hours a day, which is, I think, much better for the patients. But in terms of learning, it's, you know, it, it's, I'm a little conflicted about it because when we were there uh, by ourselves with no attending and we had a question or we weren't sure what to do, we would call our fellow residents who were in the yeah. ICU or who were downstairs in the emergency room and we all got to learn together which I think is something that's a little bit lost nowadays. I think so too. I I actually kind of enjoyed when we didn't have attendings on overnight because it was, it, I just, it was a lot more autonomy. It was a lot more of, you're right, figuring it out with your co-residents or whatever resources you had. But I also feel like I, I looked things up more because if the decision was on me or my senior, there's a lot more responsibility and accountability with that. Um, which is huge, and you can, and you can try to have that when an attending is on and is doing these admissions with you. But at the end of the day, just mentally, your head is in a different space, and my head is in a different space when I have that right, for better or for worse. And I think that like that sense of accountability when you're by yourself makes for a better, like a better clinician in in those moments because you you think so carefully about everything before deciding and it's probably closer to what real life looks like outside of residency you know um and we were lucky in the sense that we kind of got to experience both and by the time we had attendings on with us we were more than halfway through first year i think i think so So we we, we were a little we we're a little more experienced and we had a little bit more um like even as like seniors having an attending on was different because you got to triage a lot and then you just brought what you were worried about up to the attending I don't know if I had had that as a first year that, you know, for example, like you said, that first night, would things have looked a little different or like, would your experience have been a little different? Probably, right? Probably. Yeah, I think there's a natural inclination sometimes when you know someone is going to be there and, you know, be able to talk about your management. There's a natural inclination that you want to do the thing that they think that you think they want to be done. Yes. And especially as you get to know the different attendings and the different personalities, Obviously, everyone's n number one focus is the patient and doing good by the patient. But when there's a couple different ways to do that, all in this sort of general umbrella of standard of care, then when you have someone else who's going to be looking over your shoulder, it's tough to say, oh, this is what I want to do. But I know that this person doesn't love doing it. So I'm not going to do it that way. And that's the yeah. nice part about it now being you know, a fellow and getting more more autonomy over the patients that I have more self-confidence and I could say, I know what this attending would like to do. My way of practicing is a little bit different. And so I'm going to do that. And I'm empowered to do mm -hmm. that, of course, as long as it's safe and you know beneficial for the patient. 
and it that comes with time too, right? Because to 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 have to have a way of doing things now the way you or I do, like you have to be doing it for a couple years to have a way of doing things, right? And I just I think that that's really hard to do in residency because you just don't have enough experience, even like in a very busy res. Like ours was a very impatient, busy residency, I would say. Um, and so we got a, a ton of experience, but even even so, like it's a different it's a different place than even I was as a first year fellow, where I felt a little bit more confident in suggesting something or wanting to do something because I thought it was the right way to do it, even if it wasn't exactly what I thought the attending wanted, or it was it was a style thing, you know. Yeah, exactly. And let's do this. Let's pause the conversation here. There's a lot more to talk about. We haven't gotten into your first fellowship. We haven't gotten into your second fellowship that you're doing now. I have a lot of questions about why you decided to do more training. But uh, so do I. <laughs> but let's pause it. Let's have you back in a future episode. But uh, Dr. Kinjal Desai, thank you for coming on the podcast. We will certainly have you back soon. Thank you, Josh. It was great talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Doctors Are People 2 podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to share it with your friends and family. Follow us on our Instagram page at Doctors Are People 2 podcast. Do you have a question or a comment on the show? Maybe a guest recommendation? Direct message us on our Instagram page. Until next time, this has been the Doctors Are People 2 podcast. Take care. <laughs>